You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Thursday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Number three, Russell Wilson finally spoke to the media today, so we're going to touch on what he had to say today at the VMAC. And, of course, we'll be continuing our 90-player countdown number 60 through 56 as we approach the midway point on our countdown. Glad to have you listening in. Make sure to check out Locked On's Peacock and Williamson every Monday through Friday, hosted by NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson. They give you the national perspective all around the NFL, covering all the latest news and insight. Get your picks, previews, and much more every weekday with the Peacock and Williamson podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. We've been waiting a long time for Russell Wilson to finally speak to the media, all the trade circus that was going on throughout this offseason. He and the organization stayed mum. We have heard from Pete Carroll and John Schneider now at the draft and basically calling the Wilson trade rumors old news, but we had not heard from number three until today. And honestly, Rob, it went just about how I expected it to be. Wilson was trying to say all the right things and made it clear a number of times that he never wanted to be traded. He wanted to be with the Seahawks, but there still are some things that I feel like are left a bit unanswered. Yeah, I think so. I think that Russell Wilson uh, in, a, in a prior life might have been a politician because the man can spin as well as just about anybody. And, uh, you know, I the, one of the, the takeaways I got is that Russell Wilson wants to win that the, the reality is that uh, that he's still very much a part of this franchise. I, I think that um, that it left those who were waiting for him to just kind of face the music and say, hey, yeah, I was frustrated, and these are the teams that, that either I or my agent had put out there. I, I don't know that he ever really answered any of those types of questions, at least not with the 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 honesty or you know that, that some were expecting. But at the same time, I think when it's all said and done, he he said what he had to say. He he did face the music, even if it was 45 minutes after he was supposed to get out there. But uh, he at least acknowledged some of these things. And and I think when it's all said and done, um, the, the Seahawks still have the best quarterback in the NFC West, at least in my opinion. And, and that puts them in a, in a prime position to succeed, especially when you consider all of the talent that this club returns at the wide receiver, running back, and offensive line. I think Russell Wilson was being sincere when he was saying that this is where he wants to be. That's what I've been reporting for months. Everybody that I talked to said he really doesn't want to leave. He wants to be a Seahawk. And so, again, that did not surprise me, but I had the opportunity to write to get to the nitty-gritty as the first person to ask a question in the press conference, and I was just up front with Russ. Did you ask your agent to release those four teams through Adam Schefter of ESPN? And as you just mentioned, I don't think we necessarily ever got an answer to that, and I'm not totally surprised about that. That is a really touchy subject. He found ways to dance around it a little bit. He did make it clear there were teams calling, inquiring about him. He and his camp knew about that. And so eventually he spilled the beans that 
we released these four teams just in case, you know, if I was to get traded, these are the four teams I would be willing to play for. And that it was never meant to be, well, I want out. I am demanding a trade. It's just very confusing when you really think about everything. But you mentioned the reality is that was the the lead on a number of sentences in this press conference. And he kept talking about reality. And really, the, the real reality here is we are going to potentially be back in this same spot next offseason if the Seahawks are not able to win more games or advance further in the playoffs. That really is the big key. Can they get deeper in the playoffs? Can they get back into contention for winning another Super Bowl? That's the bottom line for Russell Wilson. He kept mentioning that throughout this press conference that he wants to win and that he and the team are on the same page in that mission. And so, again, nothing surprising to me there. We know that Russell Wilson is the ultimate competitor. He loves winning. He absolutely hates losing. And and hearing Russell Wilson say that watching Tom Brady win a Super Bowl pissed him off, that was kind of entertaining coming from Russell Wilson. But you know that he wants to get back to that big game. You can understand the frustrations that he was dealing with when the season ended in the wildcard round, losing to a team that they had beaten at home just two weeks earlier. There were a lot of factors at play here. You can understand that frustration. At the same time, I'm still left wondering, why why did we have to have these four teams come out? Why did this have to be released by your agent if, indeed, you didn't want to play anywhere else? It, it just It still doesn't necessarily add up to me, but that's the gamesmanship that comes with playing in the NFL, especially when you're a star quarterback in today's game. It really is. As you said, when you're a star quarterback in today's game, you have an agent who, let, let's face it, Mark Rogers is a guy who is you know focused on Major League Baseball most of the time, where a lot of times you have these star baseball players who have a little bit more control over their future than you traditionally see in the NFL. And I think that that there is a little bit of smoke behind or a little bit of fire behind all this smoke about the trade buzz. I, I think that um, as frustrated as some Seahawks fans might be feeling, some Seahawks reporters might be feeling with the way that Russell Wilson has been here recently. I think that the the Seahawks coaches and scouts and general managers maybe might be feeling some of that same frustration as well. And that it doesn't matter. I mean, I think from a player perspective, you're a human being. You're trying to compete. You want to win. But from a front office perspective, you are a commodity. And you are a commodity that could be traded, especially if you play for a team like the Seattle Seahawks, who didn't have very many draft picks, who is very much up against the salary cap, who is every bit as ultra competitive in the front office as Russell Wilson might be as the quarterback. And so, sure, you're going to have some conversations about what what would you give us if we were to trade you, Russell Wilson? Will will we get three or four or five first-round picks? Well, then we have to have that conversation. The the Chicago Bears are going to basically give you the keys to their franchise for a decade or more. Then, yeah, you have to have those conversations. So I wonder, Corbin, if – if Russell Wilson, and again, his agent, if, if they weren't trying to control the ship a little bit, if they weren't trying to take a hold and, and steer the, where things were going, once that they may have got some type of indication that Seattle was actually fielding some of these calls, perhaps considering the possibility of trading the best player that's in their franchise history, then I think that they decided that, hey, we have a contract in place that says that Russell Wilson cannot be traded. He has no trade clause in his contract. 
But if he were to be traded, these are the four clubs that we would like to go to. And so I think he was just trying to kind of steer the ship again, um, just to try to uh, you know see where that might go and, and try to give the, the Seahawks a little bit of direction because he didn't know where it was going to happen. And it sounds like, and listening to the press conference, it wasn't actually there in person as you were, but sound, listening to the press conference, it sounded like that those whatever issues that were there have relatively been mended. And the Seahawks, and especially Russell Wilson, are basically at this point full steam ahead. Let's let's rock and roll and try and win in 2021. And that would be my final takeaway here is that, yes, were there some things that maybe you would have liked to see Russell Wilson address in terms of that, you know, the four teams being released? Sure, you could always want the pro athlete to delve into things a little bit more, be a little more open about situations like that. You're typically not going to get that. But I will say this, he did make it clear that he really loved the addition of Gabe Jackson and Gerald Everett, some of the other pieces that they have added around him this offseason. So I do think that the two sides have reached a point where things are amenable again. And that was really a few months ago when everybody's wondering, you know, if he isn't traded, can we have this situation resolved, at least in the short term? And, and I think they have been able to do that, that both sides are very excited to get into this season and contend for a Super Bowl title. And as I mentioned, if they don't, if they end up falling short of their expectations, then Russell Wilson made it clear in this press conference a couple of times, you know, things do change over time. We could see number three be frustrated again next offseason. It could actually lead some action, and that's what I've been saying all along. I didn't see him getting traded this offseason, but if things don't play out the way that Russell Wilson wants them to and the Seahawks don't meet expectations somehow in 2021, then I think there is a very strong possibility we could be right back here next year discussing this topic with uh, a lot more teeth to it with the potential of Wilson playing elsewhere. When we come back in the second quarter, the Seahawks wrapped up OTAs today, their 10th OTA practice at the VMAC. Rob and I are going to discuss some observations from the final practice and kind of hit on a few topics that we didn't hit on from Tuesday's session as well. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Are you looking for a way to boost your workout game? Are you seeking a delicious protein bar without the sugar and carbs? Enter in the Built Bar, 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. Some of the best ones, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, apple almond crisp, peanut butter, double chocolate. You're going to have a tough time eating just one. These bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft, easy to chew. It's great for the health-conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and they're great for a keto diet. Remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. Do you know 85% of people who play daily fantasy sports lose? Is it really that surprising? The game is rigged against you. You're playing against thousands of other lineups, not to mention experts who have more tools and more time. You don't stand a chance. Introducing Stat Hero. It's the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts you, the player, in control and winning within reach. Here's how it works Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head to head fantasy matchup. Your name, your stakes. Winner take all. You have the advantage. Stat Hero is showing you their lineups ahead of time. No one else does that. And that's why it is my preferred daily fantasy sports book. You are in total control. Stat Hero is daily fantasy the way it is meant to be played, one-on-one. 
Go to stathero.com slash locked on, sign up for free, and right now you can get three times back on your first play. They're giving you a 300% match. That's unheard of. So go to stathero.com slash locked on. That's stathero.com slash locked on. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. The Seahawks wrapping up their OTAs today at the VMAC, their 10th and final practice. They will now prepare for next week's mandatory minicamp. As we've talked about a lot over the past few days, there's only so much that you can observe watching OTAs, especially this year with them being shorter and teams typically avoiding 11-on-11 and 7-on-7 drills. The Seahawks were able to mix in a little bit of that type of stuff today, but there's a lot of contact restrictions. It's just not a true NFL practice. You're still able to get some good work in, but I always kind of chuckle a little bit when I see beat writers for other teams or even the Seahawks talking about standouts or OTAs. Well, I guess that it's cool that this player had a couple really nice catches, basically sporting underwear and a jersey. But until we get to training camp, it's really difficult to be able to tell which players are really standing out. That being said, there were plenty of observations to be made at the practices, both on Tuesday and today. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like one of the things I've I've tried to take away from these type of practices, Corbin, is that yeah, you're not going to see people be able to physically move. Folks, you know, we, we had a conversation yesterday about the linebacker Aaron Donker. Until you see him actually tackle people, then that's kind of the nature of the game at the linebacker position. You have to be very effective in that regard. To me, one of the things that's interesting is that you can get a feel for just who's in shape especially in a year like this one where you've had COVID, you have a lot of guys who are sitting around eating Doritos all damn day long. And so who is in shape? Who looks motivated to be able to surprise? And so one of the guys that I've been really intrigued by, so I'm kind of curious on your take, is the way that a former first-round pick, in, you know, coincidentally enough, by your division rival at Arizona Cardinals, Robert Kim Dice, the defensive tackle from Ole Miss. What did he look like? You were there. You you saw what he looked like. Does he look like in, like he's in shape? Does he look motivated? Because as we've talked about many times before, with the loss of Jaron Reed, Seattle has a huge hole at that defensive tackle position. Robert Kim Dice can be that guy if he is motivated. What did you see? So I'm going to put a, a little bit of a disclaimer to this because, again, going back to the fact that this is OTAs, until I see Robert Kandice go out there and hit people and work off of blocks and I see him consistently bring top effort several practices in a row, I'm going to remain at least slightly skeptical about what he's going to be able to bring the Seahawks. But I was very encouraged by what I saw in both practices Tuesday and Thursday. For him. And the first thing I will say is he looks like he's in outstanding shape. He looks like he's chiseled. He looks like he's been working really hard on getting back in shape. you got to remember, he did not play at all last year, and he only played in two games in 2019. So he has not played a lot of football since the 2018 season, and he had a knee injury that year. So not a lot of snaps. He was very inconsistent. He had one monster game for the Cardinals, and otherwise was basically non-existent. But I've been really impressed with what I've seen from a work ethic standpoint. And again, it's OTAs. There's only so much that you can take away from them. But he was always near the front of the line. He was getting after it. You you could hear him today barking at his teammates. You can tell he's having fun. And to me, that is a really good sign for a player that there were a lot of questions about his passion for the game and his dedication to his craft 
maybe being out of the league for a year is the wake-up call that he needed to change that. Again, I got to see him put it together with consistency, but I think there's reason to be cautiously optimistic going towards training camp that maybe Kem DJ can be a contributor behind Puna Four. Yeah, and that's one of the things that was always intriguing to me. I mean, when, when Kim Diche was coming out of Ole Miss, you know, he was a guy that that did kind of beat to his own drummer. But that's the thing is the Seahawks have actually a, a coach who will appeal to those kind of a players. You know, and, and so I, I've always been intrigued. Once Seattle side of Kim Diche, I, I thought this is the the actual this is the type of coaching staff that might actually be able to kind of light a fire into this player. Cause there's no question that he is super talented, um, you know, in terms of just his, his initial burst, his, the use of his hands, his power, he just hasn't always had the motivational factor there. But I think not only Pete Carroll, but in Ken Norton Jr. And Clint Hurt, you, you have a pretty intriguing combination there of, of coaches that might be able to, uh, to inspire Kim DJ to be able to live up to his potential. So to me, he is one of the more intriguing players. Were there any of the other defensive players and certainly any of the wide receivers that you saw that that were able to establish any type of immediate rapport, whether it be Russell Wilson throwing the passes, whether it be Geno Smith, who else stood out to you today? Well, it's again, it's really hard to, when you're watching receivers going against air most of the time, it's really hard to make evaluations on players but something that did jump out to me today I don't believe Gerald Everett was there on Tuesday but he showed up for practice today one of the late stragglers coming in for the veterans at the end of OTAs but I saw him make a couple really nice grabs down the seam and I saw Colby Parkinson make a couple of nice catches downfield and he looked fully healthy and we know the upside there. Six foot seven, really soft hands. That is a big target for Russell Wilson. And it just felt like last year, especially late in the season, he was very hesitant to take those shots in the middle of the field. And that's never been a strength in his game. And I've always wondered is that going to be something that's really going to be a top priority for Shane Waldron? Can we get Russell Wilson to be more confident throwing the football into the middle of the field, into the teeth of the defense, especially down the seam to tight ends? They had the playmakers maybe to do it last year and didn't take advantage, but you're seeing, at least in the practice field now, that that is something that Russell Wilson has done a lot the past couple OTAs where we've been able to observe, especially today, Gerald Everett with a couple of nice catches looking really athletic, and Colby Parkinson with those long strides and looking like a very natural pass catcher. So I think that was one of the more exciting things for me today, but I need to see it be done against an actual defense to truly be excited. Again, though, there's some cautious reasons for optimism there with some of those tight ends in this new scheme that Shane Waldron is going to be play calling. Well, I don't even know that's cautious optimism. I mean, I, I'm excited about the possibility of it. To me, that's always been a position that I felt like this, that Seattle has never really been able to take full advantage of the talent. I mean, whether it be Jimmy Graham, whether it be Zach Miller, whether it be Greg Olson, the Seahawks have tried over and over again to be able to find some type of a difference maker at the tight end position. Look, it just hasn't worked out. Exactly. And, and I'm a big fan of Will Disley. He's just not a runaway type of a guy. But Gerald Everett is. And Kobe Parkinson is. 
And, and when you th- consider what Shane Waldron did with the Los Angeles Rams, where, of course, he had Joe Everett, he had Tyler Higby. The, the Rams consistently invested some draft selections in that tight end position. You think about the safeties that are in the NFC West, the pass rushes that are in the NFC West, the fact that Seattle likes to run the football the way that they do. They have the dual-threat quarterback that they have. They have the talent, the wide receiver. Tight end has been the one position that's been something that if Seattle could just get any semblance of consistency, of playmaking ability, they their offense, as good as it was a year ago when Russell Wilson broke the, the franchise record for the most touchdowns passed, it just still feels like tight end is a position that they still could very much build upon. So we, we've been talking about some of the strongest positions on this squad. Offensive tackle is one that I'm really intrigued to how it's been developed. Linebacker is another one. Safety is another one. Tight end to me might be the position that that Seattle's been kind of operating at kind of an average C level. You know, we'll see if they're able to build that up to a B or even A level, then this offense could absolutely explode. And I think Gerald Everett and Kobe Parkinson could be a huge part of that. It really felt like that was the missing piece last year, especially in the second half. You have all these opponents that are playing two deep coverages and they're trying to take away the deep ball for DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. How do you neutralize that? If you've got a couple tight ends that can eat up in the middle of the field, you can make teams pay for using two deep safety coverages like that, but they just weren't able to do that. So I do think that's the missing ingredient there. And, and maybe getting a little bit more on the run game. I know some of our listeners would be like, oh, no, don't give Pete Carroll ideas. But it felt like there were games in the second half where they didn't establish the run enough. And I know some of our listeners hate that term, but there were games that seemed like they really didn't get that going enough, at least in my opinion, that could have taken some of the pressure off of Russell Wilson. Speaking of the run game, the one last thing I'm going to throw out here for observations, and again, in training camp, I'm going to have a lot more to offer when we actually see these guys in padded practices, it's going to be easier to make assessments. But Alex Collins has taken advantage of his opportunity here. No Chris Carson in town, no Travis Homer. A couple of the undrafted rookies have been banged up a little bit. So you've basically had three or four running backs out there. Rashad Penny did not practice the last couple of days for whatever reason. So Alex Collins has been getting the bulk of the reps, and he made a spectacular catch in the end zone on Tuesday where he had, I believe it was Trey Brown, draped all over him now Brown can't make a play in the football like he would do in a normal camp practice but it was still an impressive catch downfield so if Alex Collins is making plays like that catching the football with the way he ran last year you know if I'm somebody like Rashad Penny I'm starting to look in that rearview mirror a little bit like I'm in the last year of my contract I better get in the field and start practicing or this guy's gonna take my job yeah, he could. And that's interesting just to hear that Rashad Penning was not, uh, you know, anywhere to be seen. That That's interesting in itself. And he was on the field, but he didn't he didn't practice. Interesting. Today. Well, and like I said, that that's that's very interesting to, to hear. And then kudos to Alex Collins. I mean, my goodness, when he came back to the Seahawks a year ago, you could see it, just a different level of burst from him. So one of the things I was most excited about with Chris Carson a year ago was how much development that he showed as a receiver. If Alex Collins can do that exact same thing, then Alex Collins may very much leap over Rashad Penny. He could be your third down back, potentially. It, it, 
Exactly. He, he could eliminate Penny. He could eliminate Homer. He could be the, the, the second bat that, they, that Carlos Hyde was for the Seahawks a year ago. And so that way, when you do have that inevitable game, it feels like when, when Chris Carson misses, then, then maybe Alex Collins, you know that he has the power. You know that he has the want to him. He was a three-time thousand-yard runner in the SEC back in Arkansas, but he never showed that breakaway speed. He never showed the hands. If he can now do that, then the Seahawks are rocking and rolling at the running back position. And you know the desire is there because and we had him on the podcast earlier this offseason with everything he went through, made some mistakes, hit rock bottom, was out of the league for a year. You know, he's hungry. He wants to play. And so, again, Rashad Penny, are you hungry? Do you want to play? I think you better show that you are or it's going to be Alex Collins' time. And I'm not saying that just based on OTAs. I'm saying that based on what we saw on the field in games last year. The three games Collins played in, he looked really darn good. And I know Pete Carroll by the end of the year was wanting to use him more. So there's your one player that I know it's OTAs. I don't want to over overvalue what's going on in the field in these practices. But I did think Alex Collins looked really good the last couple of days catching the football. To me, that is a big deal worth noting. When we come back in the third quarter, we're going to continue our 90-man countdown, players 60 through 56. A couple of the players we've already touched on a little bit, so it'll be great to continue the discussion. When we return, you're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it is now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing the only brand his warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com and in your pocket. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. And the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car and truck. Right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Glad to have you listening in. It's time to continue our 90-player countdown. This is moving pretty quickly. We are now to numbers 60 through 56. We are approaching the midway point in our countdown already. Let's start off with number 60, a player that we actually talked about quite a bit during our OTA segment a few moments ago, Robert Kendiche. We all know when he entered college football Ole Miss, he was the number one recruit in the entire country. He was a 290-pound monster coming into the SEC. And there were moments that you saw him live up to the hype. There were some huge games. It seemed like he always played his best against the top teams. Alabama, he always seemed to bring his A game. The big issue, and this is what really hurt him in the draft process, he had top 10 talent, but there was no consistency and there were letdowns against teams that were not the Alabamas of the world. And there were off-field questions as well. You mentioned him being a player that kind of beats to his own drum. There were a lot of teams that were concerned about that. And unfortunately in Arizona, aside from one huge game against the Chargers in his third season, he was a non-factor. And now here he is at 26 years old, still a young player with a lot of upside, but 
he has not been able to put it together. He might be looking at his last chance. This is really the it's the right spot for him to land, right? I mean, with Pete Carroll as his coach. That's the way I look at it. I mean, you, you're talking about a, a, an NFL team in the Seattle Seahawks who have always prioritized, um, you know, just the, the individual traits. And you're talking about a player in Robert Kim Dichu, as you just mentioned, Corbin, was the, the number one rated high school prep player going to Ole Miss. 6'4", 317 pounds. He's got long arms. He's got gray initial quickness. He's a naturally powerful player. As you mentioned, he had his best games against the elite competition. If you can light a fire under this kid, you're not talking about a guy who makes your roster. You're talking about a potential starter. And, and that's the thing is that the Seahawks need that right now. After losing Jaron Reed, look, I have a great deal of respect for Puna Ford, for Kerry Hyder, for LJ Collier, for Rasheem Green, all of these different players. They aren't 315 pounds with the arm length that this kid has. So I think that this is one of those, you know, buy low, sell high kind of individuals that has all of the upside in the world. He is only 26 years old. And so I think that this is one of those guys that kind of like Aaron Donker we talked about before, you know, a, a guy that if you hit on him, he could be special. And, and considering the fact that he has spent some time outside of the league, that this might be his last opportunity, if not now, when? And, and if this isn't the club that is going to be able to to catch him up and get him going, then I don't know if there's ever going to be one. So for all those people who were excited when Seattle drafted Malik McDowell a couple of years ago and wondering what he could have been, he's basically being reincarnated here. This time his name is Robert Kimdiche. Number 59, we talked a lot about tight ends last quarter, but one name I didn't mention who has been getting quite a bit of run during OTA practices is Tyler Mabry, who – was kind of one of the real surprises in training camp last year. They had a couple of undrafted rookies that I think were afterthoughts going into camp that really exceeded expectations. Aaron Fuller was one of them for me that played much better than I thought he would. And Tyler Mabry was a guy that I thought going into the last week of training camp with Greg Olson name dropping him unprompted, some of the other things that were being said out of camp, I started to think, this kid might actually have a fighting chance to make the 53-man roster. Ultimately, that didn't happen. He spent the season on the practice squad. But this looks like a kid that could be a better NFL player than college player because Buffalo and Maryland just didn't throw the ball to their tight ends very much. But this guy's an athlete. You just got to remember him hurtling over Quandre Diggs in one of their mock scrimmages last year. He is a dynamic athlete that is a pretty solid blocker for being under 250 pounds as well. So you can play him at multiple spots. He's one of the second-year players coming back that was on the practice squad last year that I'm really fascinated to see what he looks like after he's had a real offseason to get better. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, he's kind of the exact opposite of Robert Kimdiche. Kimdiche, of course, was a first-round pick. Maybe he was an undrafted free agent. Um, Kimdiche, you, you just see the, you know, the the eye-popping raw athleticism and tools, snap in, snap out. Uh, but the the effort you wonder with Kimdiche, you don't wonder about that with Mabry. He doesn't have the elite straight line speed, but he does have uh, terrific leaping ability, as you just mentioned. He 
he caught the ball really well. And as a guy who doesn't have that elite size, 6'3", 245 pounds roughly, he is more physical at the point of attack than, than you might expect. Uh, and, and I just love his fit in what I anticipate is going to be a fairly tight and heavy offense by the Seahawks with Shane Waldron. As we talked about before with the familiarity with Shane with Shane Waldron and Gerald Everett um, and what Kobe Parkinson might be able to provide as a seam threat just with his height, Will Disley with his physicality. But with Gerald Everett having that 6'3", 250-pound kind of, of size, to me that's what Mabry kind of makes a lot of sense is being kind of the primary backup behind Gerald Everett, who has struggled himself with a little bit of inconsistency and has it only was signed for a one-year deal. To me, Tyler Mabry is one of those guys who has shown the grit to be able to make it on to this year's roster, even if he was on the practice squad a year ago. He remains on the roster at this point, 6'3", 245 pounds. If he can show that same type of grit that helped him make the roster a year ago, Corbin, I think he can scratch out a roster spot this year as well and perhaps be a big surprise. Now, number 58 or countdown, unfortunately, I have not gotten to see very much of this kid yet because he's been dealing with some soft tissue injuries. I did see him in a helmet today. I don't think he was running a lot of routes yet. They're trying to get him up to speed. Kate Johnson from South Dakota State, a player that played really well at the Senior Bowl. His his 40 time and some of his other testing at his pro day were not as good as I think some people thought they were going to be. That might be the main reason he went undrafted. I'm still, like Jim Nagy, stunned that he did not get picked, though, because this kid is a very fluid, crafty route runner. He's tough. You can run the ball with him. He's returned punts and kicks in the past, and he's got a nose for the end zone. He had 27 touchdowns his first three years at South Dakota State, and I know it's the FCS level, but that's still a really – large quantity of touchdowns scored by one player regardless. So I look at Kate Johnson still being one of the undrafted players that has a real chance to compete for a roster spot. He's just got to be healthy. As long as he's healthy when training camp gets going and he can play at 100%, this is a kid that is going to bring the effort. He's going to bring really good route running, and he can run out of the slot as well as anybody on this roster. So I think Kate Johnson still has a very good chance if he impresses in the preseason to be on the roster in week one. I agree with you. I mean, to me, he is very similar. I, I've used this comparison before to guys like Doug Baldwin. And, you know, he's one of those classic slot receivers. He is a very crafty, uh, you know, uh, route runner. Uh, and just his initial quickness. And, and he almost has a... I, I used to call it the Hoover hands, like the old vacuum cleaner, the way that they just are able to kind of suck the ball out of the air. I mean, he has kind of an innate ability to be able to locate the football. For for Seahawks fans, they, they've all seen Russell Wilson be able to kind of evade pressure and be able to almost see in the back of his head, as if he has eyes in the back of his head, the pressure around him. Kate Johnson has that similar type of, of skill with the football. He just has an ability to be able to locate it, make a quick adjustment, and be able to snag the ball out of the air, even when he is absolutely draped in coverage. Now, that's what he was able to do against FCS competition, what he was able to do at the Senior Bowl. As you said, Corbin, we haven't been able to see him against NFL competition. So as excited as I am about his upside, 
I have to see it actually on the field against NFL competition. But yeah, I think that Kate Johnson is absolutely one of those candidates this year, one of the several candidates this year among Seattle's undrafted free agents who could actually make this roster. And closing out our list here, numbers 57 and 56, we mentioned Alex Collins last quarter. We'll have a chance to break down his game a little bit more here. But Demarius Randall also coming back to the Seahawks, another reclamation project that they are moving back to corner. And that was his position when he entered the league coming out of Arizona State as a first-round pick with the Packers. He started 30 games at cornerback his first three seasons. Then they traded him to Cleveland, and he became a safety, started a bunch of games for two years there. Last year was basically a special teams player for the Seahawks. He got a few snaps on defense during the season, but he's a guy that's just trying to stick around at this point. And we know he's got talent being a former first rounder. I wonder if he might be a little bit of a wild card at that cornerback spot with some of the names they've added. I think it's still going to be really tough for him to make noise at that position. But what does benefit him is that he does have that prior starting experience at safety. You got a couple of safeties that have had a few injury issues you like to have depth at that position as much as you can. And Randall is a very sound special teams player, which we know Pete Carroll and his staff value that as much as any staff in the NFL. So I still think Demarius Randall, I don't know that he makes the team because of his cornerback abilities, but his versatility and his special teams prowess, I think still give him a pretty good chance of being on this roster when the season starts. I agree with you. I think the positional versatility, as you mentioned, the, the prior starring experience, former first-round pick, uh, a, a guy that I, I have a hard time believing that Demarius Randall makes this roster as well as DJ Reed, as well as Ugo Amadi. Uh, and so I, I personally think that Reed and Amadi are better players at this point. But, you know, it remains to be seen what's going to happen as it comes down. You know, and it's kind of similar as what we were talking about a moment ago with, with Kate Johnson. I have a hard time believing that Kate Johnson makes this roster if a guy like John Ursua also makes the roster. But at the same time, I think that you have to kind of ignore the idea that, oh, Ursua is ahead of, uh, you know, of a Kate Johnson or that Ugo Amadi and DJ Reed are necessarily ahead of uh, a player like Demarius Randall. I think that it's, the Seahawks are basically, you know, you can kind of read what they, I mean, believe what they say, that it's all about competition. And you may have been drafted at a certain point, but it's all about what you're doing right now. So if Demarius Randall has a splashy performance, especially considering the fact, as we've talked about before, that the safe, the free safety Quandre Diggs only has one more year on his contract. When you have a guy that has the positional versatility that Demarius Randall has, then I think that it makes a lot of sense for this club, considering what he can give you at safety, what he can give you a corner, what he can give you at special teams as well. And Pete Carroll talked about this during the draft. One of the things that bothered him most about last season in retrospect, and it really was not something he could control with the COVID-19 protocols and not having an offseason like normal, not having OTAs, mini camps, and just going into a training camp that wasn't like anything they had done before, it really eliminated the ability for the always compete mantra to be fully carried out. There were a lot of young guys that didn't get the opportunities they normally would to be able to compete for playing time. And he said that was his number one goal going into this training camp. He wants to reinstill that. And so that is going to keep players like Demarius Randall and Alex Collins, who are now veterans that have been in this league for four five, six years. Maybe they're viewed as outside looking in type players, but they were really good college players. They have a lot of talent. And if they're getting the reps on the field and they capitalize on them, 
Pete Carroll and his staff are not going to care if those guys have bounced around with a few different teams. They are going to take those players over players they have drafted if they are outperforming them. And so, again, that's what keeps both these guys in the mix at both of their respective positions, especially Collins with some of the other running backs around him having injury issues. There are going to be opportunities for him in training camp to distance himself from some of that competition. And maybe Demarius Randall will be able to do that going back to corner as well. I just think he might be a little bit of a sleeper that people are not talking about. Make sure to check out the Locked On Today podcast hosted by Peter Bukowski. He updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the all-new Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. Coming up on our Friday show, I will be riding solo, going to be answering your mailbag questions and continuing our 90-player countdown, looking at numbers 55 through 51. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.